Welcome to Recurrent Events, current events for Retro Minds. I am your host, Jason, and I appreciate you tuning in for this first episode of 2021. Hope everyone is staying safe out there and will look to recurrent events this year as a little distraction from all the other news that hits our feeds every day. Uh, before we get into this week's retro pop culture headlines, I wanted to give you a little backstory on recurrent events and its evolution over the years. Way back in August of 2013, I started a blog series on my personal website, rediscoverthe80s.com, called The Weekly Links. Its uh, logo had the Legend of Zelda font and two little 8-bit Link characters pointing swords at each other, and I curated web links to several articles from retro bloggers and other websites that I followed at the time. I published the weekly column for over two years before I decided to give it a fresh start and rename it Recurrent Events and produce an accompanying podcast. It was basically the same format as we've done on TRN Podcast with me bringing the headlines and having guests react to them. It was a bit ambitious as I tried to put together a list of a dozen or so guests that uh, asked to be on rotation every few weeks. But uh, after three months of recording, my work schedule picked up and couldn't get a consistent schedule from my guests as well, so I decided to abandon the podcast. And like I said, I was pretty ambitious about it and pressed on with the web version of recurrent events, providing a column of weekly links to pop culture headlines like I have done in the past. In June of 2017, just shy of four years of starting the column on Rediscover the 80s, I took another hiatus from the web version, again due to my workload at my day job picking up, and little did I know that recurrent events would lay dormant for about two years after that. At one point I did try to make it into its own website, but wasn't until June of 2019 when the Retro Network went on the air that recurrent events came back to both podcast and web form. Eventually the column was abandoned again, but for the past year and a half, we've been featuring recurrent events on the Retro Network podcast. And uh, now it's time for the next evolution, as TRN Podcast is being put on hold for the time being, and recurrent events is once again its own podcast, with just me. So there you have the full story going back about seven and a half years. I still have a passion for curating retro pop culture news as there doesn't seem to be another dedicated source out there that curates headlines across the web catered towards retro minds, as I like to say. So recurrent events continues on and it gets another fresh start right here on the Retro Network. So let's press on in this first episode of the year and see what our beautiful world has to give us in this week's headlines. Leading off with uh, movies, Variety is reporting that Wonder Woman 3 is in the works with director Patty Jenkins fresh off Wonder Woman 84 hitting HBO Max in theaters over the holiday season. Uh, here's a quote here from Warner Brothers chief Toby Emmerich. As fans around the world continue to embrace Diana Prince, driving the strong opening weekend performance of Wonder Woman 1984, we are excited to be able to continue her story with our real-life Wonder Woman, Gal, and Patty, who will return to conclude the long-planned theatrical trilogy. 
unquote. So I ended up uh, plunging and getting HBO Max uh, a few days after Christmas and was able to watch the film. Uh, it was okay. Uh, I did like the first one better, and me being the 80s freak that I am, was surprised at the lack of 80s music uh, incorporated. And I don't know, it just seemed like the decade was forced maybe a little bit in certain occasions. The, the mall scene where she does the rescue and all of the fashion jokes that happened throughout the movie, but uh, it, overall it was it was enjoyable for what it was, and I am looking forward to uh, completing the trilogy, as they say. Variety is also reporting that a Rubik's Cube movie and game show is in development from Hyde Park Entertainment and Endeavor Content. Details are slim at this point, but uh, I'm not sure what you do with a Rubik's Cube movie. Is it based on the life of Erno Rubik? Is it more of a documentary style on the history of the cube? Or do you go kids movie and just bring back Rubik the Amazing Cube concept from the short-lived cartoon show? You know, who knows what you, where you go with uh, a Rubik? I don't know. I might like to see that, actually. <laughs> Uh, it's just weird uh, thinking about Rubik's Cube as a movie. Now, as a game show, uh, I I'm assuming that it's going to be some kind of speed thing. You know, the it's blown up over the last, I would say, even decade going for the speed records and all the tournaments and stuff worldwide. So, uh, is it going to be just uh, them inviting all of those people that actually know how to solve it <laughs> to uh, to do the game show and? I don't know. There's got to be some other elements in there to get me to watch something like that. Because all I get is mad at uh, the people that can solve it in like 10 seconds. And here I am downloading an app to try to solve the one that's in front of me. Since recurrent events has been on hiatus over the last few weeks, I thought I'd add some headlines from back in December. Deadline broke the story that a Night Court sequel is in the works at NBC. With John Larroquette as Dan Fielding and Harry Stone's daughter as the judge. So uh, they have brought in uh, Big Bang Theory alum Melissa Roch as executive producer. And from what I read, uh, it's going to be based uh, actually on the original series created by Reinhold Wiege. The multi-camera night court centers on the unapologetic optimist judge Abby Stone, daughter of the late Harry Stone who follows in her father's footsteps as she presides over the night shift of a Manhattan arraignment court and tries to bring order to its crew of oddballs, cynics, most notably former night court prosecutor Dan Fielding, of course, played by John Larroquette. You know, it was just before Christmas I uh, was going through the Google Play Store and found the first season of Night Court for $5, and I thought that was uh, the deal of the century just about. And binged the first season of Night Court uh, pretty quickly after that. And, oh, just, uh, I remember watching the show on reruns mainly back in the day. But it was really fun uh, to go back to, even to that first season before some of my favorite characters like Roz, the bailiff, uh, was around. And uh, even Marky Post as uh, Fielding's counterpart in the courtroom. But it's still a great show, and uh, I'm very excited about this, actually. Uh, if they do it right, and they are, they're basing it on the original series and style, uh, I think this would could be a, the next hit for NBC. 
Going back to movies, another story from Variety is that Seth MacFarlane is rebooting the 80s teen blockbuster Revenge of the Nerds. Twin comedians Keith and Kenny Lucas are expected to star and write the film for 20th Century Studios. Alex Rubens will serve as the co-writer on the project. The film, quote, won't be made of the 1984 comedy, which hasn't aged all that well and has been criticized in recent years for depictions of rape. Instead, the contemporary reimagining will pontificate about today's nerd culture and what even constitutes a geek in the 21st century, unquote, from Variety. Uh, it's been so long since I watched Revenge of the Nerds. I remember the movie. Yeah, it was kind of that raunch comedy that uh, the 80s had uh, more than enough of. So I can see trying to, uh, you know, spin it off into something for the modern age and uh, maybe a little bit less raunchy. But I don't know. It's Seth MacFarlane. I, I think he can get raunchy at times. Uh, but, you know, why even name it Revenge of the Nerds then? Is that name really synonymous with nerd culture or does it resonate with people 37 years later? I don't know. It just seems like why just, uh, why just not go with a new show, a new name? and celebrate nerds and nerds will love it or hate it whatever and they're not going to judge it i think based on the using the revenge of the nerds franchise if you will also back to movies deadline is reporting that peter dinklage will star in a toxic avenger reboot macon blair is on board to direct and uh, it's going to be a contemporary reimagining of Troma Entertainment's successful 1984 low-budget action comedy hit. When a struggling everyman is pushed into a vat of toxic waste, he is transformed into a mutant freak who must go from shunned outcast to underdog hero as he races to save his son, his friends, and his community from the forces of corruption and greed. Troma's Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Hertz will serve as producers on the project. I, you know, I liked uh, the Toxic Avenger. I remember the first one more than, I think there was, what, two or three in the series? Uh, late night, you know, USA Up All Night type movie. And just, you know, making fun of itself almost, uh, not taking itself seriously. So, if they keep that kind of vein with the movie and have fun with it, uh, I'm on board for... Peter Dinklage picking up the reins as Toxie and uh, seeing what they can do in the modern time. Alright, over to streaming. Alex Trebek's final Jeopardy episodes are airing this week, uh, January 4th through the 8th. And then on January 11th, next Monday, former champion Ken Jennings will get a crack at hosting while it sounds like a permanent replacement has not been yet announced uh, for the late Alex Trebek. Uh, it's still kind of weird to say that, that we lost uh, Alex Trebek and uh, did appreciate uh, his openness about the whole journey that he took in the last, what, about year of his life. Uh, fans just outpouring on Twitter. So it, it's some large shoes to fill and to find somebody long-term, I, I can't see that uh, they're going to make any real commitment until somebody can get on their guest host and get into some kind of groove and the fans kind of react to that. Because Alex was just, 
in my opinion, you know, the consummate professional game show host, if there is such a thing. Uh, it's weird to say, you know, because you think of game show host as more or less uh, off-collar, you might even say cheesy, but he was uh, definitely a professional. And you have to be when you're on an intellectual show like Jeopardy, where some of us, like me, are lucky to get two questions right out of the whole show. So, good luck to Ken Jennings, and if you want to catch Alex's last few episodes, tune in this week. Okay, Stranger Things fans, Season 4, still currently filming. This was uh, pretty good news that came across my feed this week from Bleeding Cool. Uh, you know, with COVID, and I, I really hate reporting on upcoming stuff just for the fact that, you know, COVID can hit uh, any set or any filming location at any time. We've seen Batman delayed. So it's hard to say, oh, hey, yes, they're still filming and it's going to meet their release date for season four. But they continue to tease us over there on Twitter giving us uh, all the actors that are involved with the season, even some plot points. Uh, we know that Robert England is on season four. We know that uh, Brent Gelman's Murray Kaufman character has been promoted to a series regular in season four. And we know we're going to be over in Russia for uh, probably a good bit of the season. And uh, coming up with a new mystery, a new uh, twist to tie all of this together from the first uh, three seasons. So I am excited and uh, I will be uh, resubscribing to Netflix. If you listen to us on the TRN podcast, you know, I had uh, gave it up for several months, but with this uh, hopefully coming up this year, uh, I'm definitely going to be signing back up for Netflix soon. Switching over to some music news. Ultimate classic rock is reporting that, Def Leppard is unlocking their vault on January 13th. Yeah, they're apparently doing a whole new website called The Vault, and it will offer all kinds of memorabilia, music, and stories from the band's 44-year history. There will be a little video introduction by lead singer Joe Elliott. An official quote here, For the first time ever, Def Leppard has come together to share their personal collection of band artifacts, including personal memorabilia, letters, clothes, art, and more. The Def Leppard Vault will serve as a constantly curated museum, including special installations where fans can gather to see the band's history from 1977 to now. Joe, Sav, Rick, Phil, and Viv will also be recording stories and memories and sharing them in tandem with the historic collection." Unquote. So if you are a Def Leppard fan, this sounds like a paradise coming to the web on January 13th, Def Leppard's Vault. Here's a fun story in video games. Someone found the Game Boy accessory called Work Boy. Now, uh, if you at all remember the Game Boy, you remember all the accessories that came with it. You had the Light Boy, to help you play in the dark and there was actually one accessory that had been uh, rumored to have been made or at least uh, prototyped and just never went into production and it was called the work boy which essentially turned the game boy into like a pda device it came with a keyboard a small keyboard that you plugged into the game boy and uh, then you could use it as you know, kind of what people used to have back in the day with PDAs. And uh, just recently, 
a, a gaming historian, Liam Robertson, managed to find this prototype, which uh, he contacted one of the original production people, and he still had one, and it still worked. And there's some great pictures over on Bleeding Cool about the Workboy, and there's also a YouTube video that we'll link to about the uh, lost add-on for Game Boy called Workboy. Some toys and collectibles news here, and uh, this is basically one and the same. The Masters of the Universe Origins line is now extending beyond Walmart. Uh, if, if you've been collecting, as I have been, those toys have been uh, exclusive to Walmart on toy shelves. And uh, Series 3 is just now hitting those shelves. But now you can go on some online stores and actually order uh, all the figures and even Battle Cat and uh, the upcoming Panthor, a couple vehicles as well as they've been releasing those, and of course Castle Grayskull. So if you've got an online retailer like uh, Entertainment Earth or Big Bad Toy Store, something like that, you might want to go over there and check and uh, go ahead and get in on some pre-orders for some of those characters that you really want. And coming in 2021, there are more characters hitting the line. We're going to get a Battle Armor He-Man and Skeletor. Stratos and Ninjor all coming. We're going to get the Land Shark vehicle, which looks really fun. Of course, the Castle Grayskull is coming to Walmart. Uh, I've heard that the price point's around $75. Uh, hitting Walmart soon is She-Ra, Merman, Zodak and Roboto actually hitting stores now as some of my friends have already chimed in that they've found some of those characters at retail locations. There's also pictures hitting the web of Hordak and Triclops. Those are also coming this year. And like I said, Panthor, we've gotten Battle Cat, but Panthor is coming. And there'll be some deluxe versions of the characters that will also be available to fans. So go out there and check your favorite store for Masters of the Universe Origins. And uh, I've definitely got my eyes set on a trap jaw. been looking at several locations waiting for that to hit shelves and never did. So uh, I've got to have a trap jaw. was always my favorite figure. So check out Masters of the Universe Origins online. All right, let's get into some food talk. Kellogg's is unveiling a new Rice Krispie Treats home style beginning in January 2021. They are 50% bigger than the original treats, feature extra marshmallows, and come in the original and chocolate flavors. They will be individually wrapped and you'll get a box of six for around $3.19 or 12 for $5 at your grocery store. Rice Krispie Home Style. Yeah, there was never enough marshmallows in the uh, the ones that they make because when you do it at home, it always seems a little bit more sticky and soggy thanks to those uh, extra marshmallows baked in. So anxious to see if they actually pull off this home style and it is comparable to how you make them at home. Do you have a crystal in your neighborhood? I do. Uh, you might have White Castle up north, but uh, specifically at Crystal Restaurants, they're bringing back the Hangover Crystal Slider. We told you about this one uh, several months back and have not had a chance to try it, but uh, it's already there at your local Crystal. It's a breakfast kind of slider with a beef patty, though. Cheese, onion, bacon, and a fresh cracked fried egg on a steamed bun. You can get those now at Crystal. 
Kellogg's is bringing back s'mores cereal this month. After a two-year hiatus, s'mores cereal features crunchy graham cracker cereal squares wrapped in a rich chocolatey coating with marshmallows. Ah, uh, yes. Back in the day, I think they called it s'mores crunch, but I am glad it is coming back to store shelves. Now let's get into some weird stuff. My favorite restaurant, Kentucky Fried Chicken, has revealed over in the UK a video game console with a warming tray for your fried chicken. <laughs> in partnership with Cooler Master, KFC UK has a new KF console, is what they're calling it. It's a mini gaming computer that includes a slide-out warming tray that can hold your fried chicken while you play. Of course, man. Why didn't I think of this? You know, you're playing video games, you get hungry, there you've got freshly warmed fried chicken. You don't have to run out to the microwave or, you know, whatever. <laughs> if you're gonna warm it up from the day before, just keep it in your video game console. They call it the chicken chamber and is kept warm by the normal heat generated by the computer redirecting with an airflow system. So, you know, those Xboxes and Playstations, they get hot, you know, you can feel the warmth coming out. Why not, uh, you know, direct that warmth into a nice little tray and, and keep your fried chicken hot? Now, of course, they're not releasing this. This was uh, basically just like a, a prototype. I think that they were uh, doing like a, a giveaway or something. It was just some kind of ploy to... Uh, <laughs> To, to, you know, like a, just to get the press, you know, posting about it. So, uh, <laughs> you're not going to find the KF console in stores, unfortunately. Also, over in China, McDonald's, McDonald's has some crazy stuff. And I, I guess it's just the culture of China and Japan. Uh, we've, we've read back some stuff from Thailand, too, that they do some crazy stuff. This is the weirdest most repulsive thing I've ever heard of. And I like both items in this burger. But in China McDonald's, they have a Spam and Oreos burger. Oh my gosh. I don't understand the, uh, the combination here. It's a Spam burger, sliced, you know, pieces from Spam. Looks like they fry them up. And they crumbled what looks like Oreo cookies without the cream in the middle. They just crumble it up as a topping on, on your Spam. And then you add in what looks like some kind of sauce, a white sauce. Maybe it is like marshmallow cream? I don't know. What do you put on this thing? But uh, if you look at the ad, it does have the official Spam logo, but not Oreos. So it's uh, you know, seemingly Oreos, but... <laughs> This was uh, on sale in China and was limited to 400,000 sandwiches. Uh, is there 400,000 people in China that would want to try this thing? That's my curiosity. I have not gone back to do any research beyond this because this was like right before Christmas when it was released. But uh, wow, a Spam Oreo burger in China. All right, as we wrap up this week's headlines, a couple so longs to pass along in the world of Hollywood. First, right before the end of the year, we lost actress Don Wells, who played Marianne 
on Gilligan's Island, passed away of COVID at age 82. She, along with Tina Louise, who was, uh, of course, Ginger on the show, was the last surviving cast members. I had never really looked at her IMDb and seen what other shows she did. She was on Wagon Train, Maverick, 77 Sunset Strip, Bonanza. And then she had some other smaller roles on The Wild Wild West, ALF. I don't remember her guest spot on ALF, Growing Pains. She would go on later to reprise the role in several TV movies and even a 1992 episode of Baywatch and even on a 95 episode of Roseanne. So fun that she kind of carried that character. And that was such an iconic show. Uh, Thinking back in the history of television, it was probably hard to get uh, away from that sweet-loved Marianne character that was on the show. But it was a fun look back uh, going through some of these stories right before the new year hit. And just two days ago, as you are listening to this, As I was pulling my notes together Sunday night, I read that we lost Tanya Roberts, the uh, Bond girl from A View to a Kill. She was on uh, that 70s show as Midge, who was the mother of uh, Donna on the show. And uh, I knew her all the way back to the Beastmaster, actually. Uh, One of my uh, guilty pleasures of the 80s is watching Beastmaster, and uh, of course that was an early role for her. I did not realize she was on Charlie's Angels. That's a a show that I've never really gone back to watch. I've seen episodes over the years, but have not gone back to uh, watch the entire series. She was on the uh, fifth season, joined by Cheryl Ladd and Jacqueline Smith. Julie Rogers, who replaced uh, Shelley Hack's Tiffany Wells. She was also on The Love Boat, Fantasy Island, L.A. Law, Tales from the Crypt, Diagnosis Murder, and 2005, the movie Barbershop was her last role. Only 65 years old was Tanya Roberts. Uh, I just uh, know her as mainly the girl from A View to a Kill. That was essentially my introduction to James Bond. I probably did catch some of the movies on television because I remember having Moonraker stickers in my room uh, when I was a kid but uh, 85 I believe when uh, A View to Kill hit I remember watching that at a friend's house up the street who had HBO and that was really my introduction to James Bond and A View to Kill while not uh, high on people's Bond lists it is on mine just because like I said that was the uh, essentially the first introduction of of the James Bond world to me. So, a so long to Tanya Roberts and Don Wells as we end this week. All right, so before we get out of here, I want to take you around the Retro Network, tell you what's coming up this week. Tomorrow on Wednesday, we've got Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, a half episode in between uh, the regular episodes. Don't miss that on the Retro Network Podcast channel. Also, Thursday is the debut of Season 3 of The House Show, featuring reviews of the WWF TV series, Saturday Night's Main Event. So you're going to get Saturday night on Thursday mornings now on the Retro Network. And Friday, a new Box Office 30 reviewing the movies of January 1991. And the feature film this month is Kindergarten Cop. Oh, gosh. Cannot wait. One of my favorite comedies from the 90s. 
Also, some web features hitting the RetroNetwork.com website this week. Karen told us about a New Year's Day tradition she had in the 90s, shopping for CDs at retailers. Kevin, the Mask Library, is uploading a couple music features this week, including the 45th anniversary of Frampton Comes Alive and the 35th anniversary of the Bangles album, Different Light. Kevin is also posting the January Retro Pool List, which features several new comic book titles from retro properties, and this month includes Star Wars, Peanuts, and The Three Stooges. And just uploaded to the site today, Old School Tim continuing his retro commercial series and I look back at the Teddy Grahams commercials in the late 80s. I remember those. Uh, kind of a cover, if you will, of the Elvis song, Teddy Bear. And those just, oh, I ate a ton of those as a kid. And that was probably thanks to those commercials and that jingle getting lodged in your brain. So there's a little spin around the Retro Network. Hope you will connect with all of our outlets. Of course, everything kind of feeds through the RetroNetwork.com. And subscribe to us on YouTube if you haven't. 50 episodes of the Wax Pack Flashback series with trading card openings and 16 episodes of J-Plays with uh, my mobile reviews all waiting for you to binge over there on YouTube. And you can also check out this very podcast over there with visuals if you like. And that's youtube.com slash C slash The Retro Network. Well, that's it for the first recurrent events of 2021. I'll be posting links to all the stories we mentioned in the podcast show notes, also in the YouTube description, and you can also find them uh, if you go over to RetroNetwork.com and listen to the show there. They'll all be right in line with your podcast player, so you can click over and continue the story. Interact with me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at TRNSocial. So until next time, this is Jason. Have a great week, everybody. Mm-hmm.